This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. Write the book well. Hello and welcome to Published or Not. Each week we talk with authors. The authors could have big names in the literary world or have self-published their own books. We talk about the writing styles and how they get published. We talk with others in the writing industry. We hope we ask the questions you are interested in as a writer and a reader. And today it's our Radiothon program, isn't it, Lisa? Hooray, yes it is. <laughs> donate now. <laughs> so that's what we're asking. We're asking for our, our listeners to ring up and donate. But this morning, Lisa, has, as co-presenter, has invited an author, I have a someone. literary agent and a creative writing teacher. And it's all one person. It is. She is Danielle Binks. She is a writer, as you said, a teacher and a literary agent. Her books, The Year the Maps Changed and Monster of Her Age, have won countless awards. She also teaches fiction at RMIT and, full disclosure, was in fact my teacher. So, it's with great pleasure that I welcome Danielle Binks to Published or Not. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. Oh my gosh, I was your teacher. I was wondering if we were going to have to disclose that. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad you said it first. Mm. I was very proud to be your teacher and I'm still teaching. So there you go. You weren't, you were part of my very first class. So you weren't abysmal and awful. So I kept going and I'm still going. (laughs) So that's really good. Yes. It's so good that you have kept going. So I remember you fondly as one of the uni's most well-read people. Uh, What are you reading right now? Oh, gosh, I'm reading a really great uh, Melbourne book, Uh, a bit of a romance, bit of a contemporary women's fiction, though I hate that term sometimes. It's called Crushing by Genevieve Novak. Awesome. It is about a young woman in her late 20s who's just realised that she's taken on the personality and persona of every boyfriend she's ever dated. (gasps) What a great premise. I love it. (laughs) And so naturally she's decided to quit men. Uh, and figure Fair. out who she is oh. because she's never realised before that she has just been a kind of succubus absorbing other people's personalities and she really wants to meet herself for the first time and it's fabulous. I, I'm going to read that. That's You've sold it to me oh, already. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds so good. <laughs> so are there any books that you're kind of anticipating? Oh, gosh, is this where I should disclose that I'm just going to hype those books that I know of as a literary agent? You can. You can. <laughs> I mean, uh, Nepo Baby It All The Way. I I will tell you some of the books that I'm really, really, really excited about. Um, The Vitals by Tracy Sorensen, which is coming out at the end of July. This is Tracy's cancer memoir, but it's experimental because it is narrated by all of the organs in her body. Oh, my God, that is so creative. Yes. As she goes through cancer, each organ gets the spotlight and talks about what is going on inside of Tracy's body. And it's being heralded as this very experimental. It's taking cancer memoirs in a new direction. It's funny. It's really funny. It's very out there. And for anyone who has been touched by cancer in any way, which I think that's everyone at this point Mm. in time, you will love the way that she cracks open quite literally her own body to tell a different type of story. It's incredible. And it's out at the end of July. Tracy Sorensen's The Vitals. Oh, my God. That is a huge tip off. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I'll definitely be reading that one as well. I love that sort of creative spin that she's brought to that, you know, having the all of the, I don't even know how you genreize that, I know, <laughs> even if that's a term. You're writing about yourself 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Not. yeah, so it's sort of like autofiction, but in yeah. a certain way, yeah. It's, it, I guess you could call it, call it like medical autofiction. <laughs> yes. Experimental she's autofiction. She's made a new, a new genre she's, in itself. She's totally done something very outside the box and it's well worth a read, absolutely. Okay, and your donation really matters. Certainly it does. Now, I, I, I know that... Being a literary agent, you might be sort of well-placed to sort of get a vibe of what's going on in the literary community. Mm. So can we, should we talk Elizabeth Gilbert, if that's something that you know about or interested? We don't have to. I totally think we should talk about it. Yes, let's, let's discuss. So for those who perhaps don't know, on Monday morning, author Elizabeth Gilbert posted a video on her social media account announcing that she was pulling her newest book, The Snow Forest, from the publishing calendar. So, the historical novel received backlash online from Ukrainian readers who criticised her for publishing a book set in Russia at the moment. Mm. I'm not sure of your thoughts. It, it, there, it gained a lot of controversy. Mm. Um in the press and on social media. So, I mean, and I think the way it was framed, certainly when I read about it, because I hadn't caught up with the news at that point, by the time it was pulled, I hadn't even heard of the book. I heard about the pulling of the book. And I thought, oh, was she going to write another sort of eat, pray, love, women's fiction romance set in Russia in the present day and not touch on the war? That's really weird. But no, it was going to be set like 100 years ago in Siberia and it was going to be discussing... Um, this family called, if I butcher this name, I'm so sorry, the Lukov family. Okay. Who um, in the 1920s, I believe, went off to Siberia, uh, a husband and wife and their baby, and they managed to stay there hidden in the Siberian wilds so as to oppose Soviet-era industrialisation of Siberia and the push into Siberia. And they weren't discovered until a group of Soviet geologists in the 1970s happened upon their hut and realised this family had lived through the Second World War, never knowing that it had even happened, wow. had been completely remotely isolated, and apparently the uh, one of the daughters of them has only recently passed away but was still living by herself in Siberia all this time. And because it's set in Russia, Ukrainian readers rebelled and posted a whole lot of negative reviews of it, obviously before it had even been released anywhere and anyone had read it. So Elizabeth Gilbert decided to pull the publication indefinitely and now mm. it may not see the light of day, which I think is quite sad. Yeah, it is sad, considering that it's such an incredible story and obviously something that needs to be told. And she does have a knack of finding these stories. Yeah. She's really good in that way. Um, I suspect that in time mm. this may attract a lot of interest mm. and you know as you've just explained that you didn't even know about the book until yeah. it was retracted from the schedule yeah. so this may sort of have that sort of uh, opposite effect where there tends to be more uh, attention around this. Well, I will say I was quite heartened to see PEN America come out and give a statement saying, look, we, we would hope that art isn't one of the sacrifices of war and that this book should, probably should come out and we hope that Liz Gilbert changes her mind. Obviously, the atrocities and the genocide that Russia is perpetrating in Ukraine is awful, but it's not as though her book is lauding that. Uh, it's actually an anti-Soviet book because this was a family that wanted to get away from the Soviet era industrialization. They wanted to get away from the Soviets. Uh, and I just think it's really quite sad that obviously one of the reasons people are opposing Russia 
encroachment in Ukraine and trying to take it over is because Putin is a dictator. Mm. One of the things that he's really stamped down is freedom of expression and free speech. So I don't think the answer to that is to completely yank a book from publication before it's in the light of day because it has the whiff of Russia to it. I don't think that's the answer. So, you know, 3CR has hundreds of passionate volunteer broadcasters who give their time to make great radio each week. And you're listening to some, some very interesting ones. Chat with Lisa Moore and Daniel Binks. Mm, thank you. So, um, Danielle, yeah, that's a real, going back to that topic, mm-hmm. we don't have to stay there, but um, it it's a, it's really has potential knock-on effects for the industry, for writers. Yeah. Do you think that online reviews have too much influence? Well, in this case, yes. Mm. <laughs> um, look, I always tell my authors, don't even glimpse Goodreads. Don't look at online reviews. They're not for you. They're for readers. They're for mm. readers to figure out what they do and don't want to read. You're never going to be happy reading a review. You might get a, a small serotonin boost when you get a positive one, but you'll probably find people tend to complain more than they praise. So I just generally say stay away from them. And I do think this one's had a very negative effect. I think people are quite scared now of the Elizabeth Gilbert effect maybe because she was also so quick to respond and instantly say, yep, I'll yank the book out. Um, Are we all expected to do that? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very concerning. And I think another thing is um, I doubt this would have been a book that, for instance, Russian publishers would have tried to acquire because it has an anti-Soviet message, which is the other side of this coin is we're hearing particularly from the UK Uh, There are many publishers who are being heaped with money from Russian publishers who want to acquire and translate into Russian because they're obviously wanting some escapist fiction in there because of the sanctions and because of the West cutting off a lot of contact with Russia, as they rightly should. And the question then also becomes, do we want to promote isolationism or does that radicalise people more? And I, I think we probably don't, and it's concerning if we do, because I totally agree with, for instance... America pulling McDonald's franchises from Russia. That makes sense. But I hope you would agree and listeners would agree there's a difference between eating a cheeseburger and reading a book. Mm. And one of them can actually burrow down and give you empathy and sympathy and show you what is happening on this side of the divide in the West potentially and could have a real effect on hearts and minds. And I worry if we completely isolate them and cut them off from what's happening over here that that might have even more of a negative effect, which is my concern with when Gilbert also very quickly reacted to those reviews. Yeah, and in effect, silence has the has uh, it's it's doing Putin's job for him. Precisely, they can fill in the gap. I mean, this happened with in 2019, the HBO series Chernobyl was banned in Russia. Obviously, it was mm. banned. It did not. Mm. It told the true story of Chernobyl and didn't shine a great light on them. However. Russians were finding ways to download it illegally, much as the Soviets tried to um, really eradicate the downloads and and come down heavy on people that they found were doing illegal downloads of the series. They even responded by doing a state television-funded series of their own called Chernobyl, trying to counteract the narrative. But obviously the narrative had crept in. And we've seen this constantly. We saw this in China, in Hong Kong, with the Tiananmen Square documentary of the 90s. Hong Kong students found ways to sneak film reels of that into theatres. And this was the first time that they had seen their country portrayed truthfully with real footage from this event that they had either not been told about or had been told a completely propaganda story about. So we know that the effect of isolationism does have a ramification on young people in particular. And I just think if any publisher is out there trying to sneak in and this has been my experience, publishers have come to us as literary agents, particularly wanting children's books 
for like mm. eight to 12 year olds. Oh, wow. And I don't think it's by mistake that they are looking for fantasy fiction, particularly with young people pushing back against uh, authoritarian adults. That is a way I think that they're kind of sneaking in a little bit of counter narrative to Putin's Russia. And I have to kind of commend them and say, I hope it works. Yeah, I agree with you. Interesting, mm. interesting details. Just on publishers. So I know that you'll be speaking at the Emerging Writers Festival coming up. Yes. I know it's at the Wheeler Centre and I know that it's called something uh, Beyond Solitude. Beyond Solitude. So Having spoken about Siberia <laughs> and isolationism, it's not nice about that. Link. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be that heavy. It's going to be about uh, – it's happening – correct me if I'm wrong, is it July 22? Um, <laughs> June 22? It, uh, it is June because I have booked June my 22. ticket. Yeah, June yes. 22, 11 a.m. at the Wheeler Centre, put on on behalf of RMIT Creative Writing Programs. So it's myself, Alice Pung and Luke Horton, writers all and affiliates of RMIT and some way all of us we're just talking about how weird it is to be a creative like a writer who kind of goes into a bunker for periods of time and are very isolated when they're creating when they're writing you are your own worst critic you are the person who is your own boss you're your own drill sergeant you're the judge jury and executioner and then at some point like you're kind of you know running for prime minister you have to go around and suddenly hawk this thing and how weird that can be I think just the the dichotomy of being the changing of hats and, and how I guess it's extreme isn't it you're very introverted for a long period and then extremely extroverted for an extended period as well. So I do believe, I certainly hope that we'll be discussing the communities that writers build for themselves and if they have to have them or not, can you get away with being a Salinger, you know, away in the woods Hmm. somewhere, putting out one amazing book that carries you over in royalties forevermore and then never have to speak to anyone again. Can you do that in this well, day and age? Cormac McCarthy did, apparently. He did. He <laughs> plugged away for years and years. Yeah. He apparently never sold more than 5,000 copies until uh, All the Pretty Horses came out and suddenly Matt Damon came calling. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all, 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 all of <laughs> You'd these... you come out for that, wouldn't you? Yeah, all these Hollywood types came calling and he had an entire backlist of something like 20 titles that he'd been plugging away at that hadn't sold more than 5,000 copies <gasps> but suddenly were ripe for adaptation. That's the dream. Treasure trove. Wow. <laughs> so interesting. What linked to this mm-hmm. notion that we talk, what we're talking about is um, social media and what, what part does social media play in an author's life? Or do you, th- do, you th- do you have to have an Instagram page to be an author? Interesting. I don't think you do. And I'm discussing this right now with two of my authors who happen to be uh, Indigenous authors. Uh, one of them is Jane Harrison, whose book The Visitors is coming out in August. And I think as soon as I say this, you might realise why she doesn't want to go on social media and perhaps never has. But The Visitors is also experimental fiction. It's set in January 1788 which is the day that uh, the first fleet come into harbour. But it is about seven, seven men from different tribes around the area who come together wearing suits and ties and they kind of prosecute the idea of should we welcome these people or should we defend our land against them? And we're kind of calling it George Saunders' Lincoln and the Bardo meets, oh, yeah. meets 12 Angry Men. She's not on social media because it's a hard year to be on social media. Yeah, yeah. Um- I've got shivers down my spine just hearing that. Yeah, so as an Indigenous author in the year of the voice to Parliament, she's not particularly keen to go on social media. That's right. With a book that re-examines Australia Day and that day in 1788 through a very different, almost magical realist, but also quite larrikinism lens. 
totally understandable. She doesn't want to be on social media. That's completely fine. Maybe this is the next trend, stepping away from social media. Well, if that's what you need to fill up your creative cup as well, if social media just hampers you, if it kind of stunts you, if it makes you not want to create, get away from it. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Well, I'm going to get away from social media now and go into (laughs) friendship groupings because I've got some more good mates who have uh, donated. And Pam Anstey, now here's a question to you. I know Pam prefers to read books online. So, you know, what's what what do you do as a literary agent? Do you sort of suggest, well, this might be better as an ebook or a, Oh, a no, I I'm completely with them. I am addicted to BorrowBox, the app on my phone from my, my library is Frankston Library, and I was listening to an audiobook on the way here on the train. I've also got an ebook on the go. I actually have it's horrendous. I have 3 audiobooks on the go on my <laughs> BorrowBox app and 2 ebooks because I'm a very uh, seasonal reader and I'm a very uh, mood reader. So I'm the same. Yeah, sometimes if I'm on the train late at night coming home, I want a bit of a crime fiction. Yes, I'm that deluded. You're going into that. I'm going fear. into it, yeah. Oh my God. I'm totally going into it. Uh, so, no, I am a huge fan and certainly there are some books as agent, particularly multi-character books, where you think, oh, this needs a whole cast of actors, like I think The Visitors by Jane Harrison does because that was actually adapted from a play as well. Okay. So she made a novelization of her play, which actually ran successfully in 2020 and got its full run before COVID hit. But then she decided to make a novel out of it. And that was certainly something that even the publishers, when they read the manuscript, said, great audiobook. Oh, we can have all these actors in and it's going to be huge and epic. And certainly that's what audiobooks are doing now. They're getting, you know, you can have Kate Blanchett in your ear holes talking to you, telling you a story. That's magnificent. I have just recorded an audiobook last week, actually. Um, it's called Scarlet Ibis. It's a middle grade, but it's exceptionally well written. It's Jill Lewis, uh, UK author. Um well, really well-known author and, mm-hmm. oh, God, it was a pleasure to read her book and there was all these UK accents. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh, that would have been <laughs> really hard. Me. I love yeah. an audio. I love it. Yeah. You have a voice for audiobook. That's oh, thank you. very soothing. I love that, oh, yes. I'm also a yoga teacher on my spare days. Oh, thank you. No, what and, I'm asking um, Lisa so to do. I put everyone to sleep. Okay, everyone <laughs> lie down now. I, so, I want Lisa to read this in an English accent. Oh, my God. Oh, come on. Stay tuned. Stay radical. Donate. 03-9419-8977 or freecr.org.uk. In it. That's one. Yeah, in, in it. it. In, in it. it. <laughs> Do you want a posh one? Mm. Stay tuned. Stay radical. Donate. 03-9419-8377 or 3cr.org.uk. <laughs> Um, very yeah, good. very Bridgerton. Now, very I nice. have a question for Danielle Binks, who's mm. our guest today. Danielle, being a literary agent, what's the best way to get a manuscript to a literary agent? Oh, gosh. We do try to be open at least a couple of months a year because we don't want to put in too many social barriers where people have to sort of pay to see us by doing those uh, admittedly wonderful, um, we call them speed dating events, which sounds like it shouldn't be conducive with writing in any way, but they're called speed dating events because you meet people from the industry for 15 minutes at a time, pitching them your works. Here in Melbourne we have like 
um, Riders Victoria that do them and the Wheeler Centre that do them, which are fabulous. But we do try to be open at least a couple months a year where it's just a free-for-all, even though we do try and be specific about what we're looking for. Maybe we have too much middle grade at the moment, so we're looking for YA, or maybe we have quite enough crime adult content, so we're looking for anything but. Uh, So, yeah, you just have to do your due diligence and research agents but I also say that the best thing to do is to crack open your favorite books and read the acknowledgements pages and they are a treasure trove and I'll I'll probably go out on the limb and say if somebody hasn't thanked an agent in their acknowledgements (laughs) that they have one that might be a sign that they weren't a very good agent and that could be a really good red flag Mm. there you go interesting interesting topic um so um, I also was going to ask mm-hmm. from an from a, a literary agent point of view, is there something at the moment you would be targeting? I'm assuming it wouldn't be any work set in Russia, for example. <laughs> Hard sell at the moment. Hard sell. Yeah. Oh, um, I think genre is having a real moment in Australia in particular. Um, We're mostly, in Australia, we're mostly known for contemporary literature. And once upon a time, it was always coastal set novels. Think Tim Winton. It was always, you know, small town on the coast. We're kind of getting away from that. And there's been some really interesting literature of late that's going more into horror and sci-fi realms. One of our authors was Grace Chan's uh, Every Version of You, which was longlisted for the Seller Prize. It won won the Mm. uh, audience award at the the New South Wales Prime Minister's. It's sci-fi set in a very distant future where the world has become so wrought by climate change that people are choosing to upload their consciousness to a place called Gaia. So they can go on living in a utopia, but it's only their consciousness. And uh, Grace Chan has positioned this as the new migration, the new migratory novel of sci-fi. That's incredible. Because a young woman's mother wants to stay behind. She doesn't want to be uploaded, but her family may go on without her. That was really fascinating. We had um, uh, Michaela Saunders' um, uh, Where They Come Back Now. I can't remember that was quite the name of it, but it was a collection of sci-fi written by Indigenous and First Nations people. And it was fabulous. It was brilliant. It was was incredible to see sci-fi through the lens of First Nations, how they are envisioning what's going to be coming or what's already come. And famously, you know, Margaret Atwood, it's been said that The Handmaid's Tale, everything that she wrote about was stuff that had happened to culturally diverse women already. So it was really interesting to read that Australian collection of First Nations authors imagining what's to come. So I think that's, and it's kind of the experimental fiction again. Experimental Mm. fiction is getting very big and pretty much experimental fiction is anything where when somebody says to you, what was it about? Your opening line is, well, it was really weird. (laughs) And and you can pretty much just say it's vibes. It was just, it was all vibes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) that's a really good indicator but yeah certainly horror is on the come up some people are going to rail against that how halloween has gotten its claws into australian culture but it's definitely here to stay and i think horror has some really interesting things to say and i think that's probably uh, a repercussion of maybe we're getting to a point where we're not being so idealistic about climate change maybe we're starting to look at we're here we're in it it's definitely coming we can't stop it so the next phase of that is not the idealistic dystopian railing against authoritarianism that's not going to do anything. Maybe the next phase of that is horror and we just have to live in the horror story of it. Yeah. Interesting. No, I read um, that you don't like to have horror as a finish. You actually like to have hope at the ending of your of. It depends. If it's for children, hope is a necessity. 
if it's for adults, oh, go bleak. That's fine. Adults can hack. Adults can hack it. But I, I, I think there's some, particularly this generation of Gen Zers. I wouldn't want to read or publish or be affiliated with much for teenagers and young people that leaves them by the end on the very last page in this state of despair and bleakness because that's not true for any kid. You've got your whole lives ahead of you. We do not. Adults do not. (laughs) We're, you know, over that hill already. No hope for us. Go for it. Make it depressing at the end. But for kids and children in particular, I do have a bit of a credo of we need a little sliver of hope. Not puppy dogs and rainbows, but something that lets kids know you're not completely alone and this won't last forever, which I think is a really important testimony of being a young adult, is realising you won't live in this moment forever. There's more to come. Well, I'd like to thank my guest, Danielle Binks, for coming in and sharing our special donation day, our Radical Radio Day with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I have been saying uh, this is a great place to set a book. So if anyone (laughs) wants to set a book um, here. Sorry, it's mine. I've taken it. (laughs) (laughs) Send it to me. I want to read that book. This place is very cool. Please donate. So this has been Published or Not, our Radiothon program, and I sincerely thank thank all family members, friends and listeners, that broad range of listeners and all authors and writers and readers who have donated. I also second that. Thank you. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.